Greetings, programs, and welcome to a very special episode of the Awesome Friday Podcast, the podcast where normally we talk about two new things each week, but this week, on our one-year anniversary, we are holding a Marvel uh, extravaganza of sorts. Uh, with me, my name is Matthew, and with me, as always, is Simon. Say hello, Simon. Hello, welcome to two white straight guys talking about Marvel. <laughs> hey, hey. What, what a that's concept. Not, that's not fair. You gotta be, give them all the context. We are white middle-aged bearded cisgendered men <laughs> uh, and so naturally we have opinions about the marvel cinematic universe and who knew who would know that i mean I, it doesn't make I any mean, sense to be fair i i just to make things a little more diverse we have a single female opinion <laughs> no I, I, we have more than one female but we my my wife i have my wife's opinions eternally in my head anyway so i can add those but um, hello, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us on our one-year anniversary of the re-re-reboot, I believe. Yeah, I can't, tell, I can't remember if this is the second or the third time we've restarted doing this, but it is the time mm. we've stuck to it most consistently, so I'm just going to call it the relaunch. And it is because you kind of nailed down that format. Like, before we were, like, when we started, we were going for, like, two and a half hours. And often <laughs> I was, often I was, drunk <laughs> like really there's, there's one episode that we had mark and do you remember that when mark came in and i drank so heavily i actually listened back to it and thought this is unusable like this is completely yep. unusable uh, this was in the days where i thought just hanging out with people was how you make a podcast <laughs> um i mean so to be fair you're better. not exactly wrong uh, I couldn't. I couldn't drink midday while we record. Anyway, you just hear the sound of me snoring. But I think that um, the reason it's really clicked for us, I think, is is that more laser guided approach of two things. Compare them, and and to be f also that gives me actually chance to maybe try and watch them as well, which has always been. Yeah, a I think I think thing. pushing pushing for that focus, taking on the role of producer of our podcast, <laughs> which is a very Wait, professional role? place. Wait, what's my uh, role? Air, I need a role. On-air talent and uh, oh, writer, yeah. staff writer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I I distinctly remember when we first did this, I started pushing for some kind of like format and we were like, no, nah, and you were like, no, let's just keep it free form and cool and hang out and groovy. And then mm -hmm. we just never did it again. <laughs> so we came back. I, I was like, let's keep, let's do this again. There's a pandemic on. We have an excuse. We have a mm -hmm. reason. We have the time. But let's like have the format, and I'm really glad that it took uh, it. Uh, you agree with it because I much prefer it this way. <laughs> I, format I is when, when when we started. I was working up on uh, an ESL school on um, Arbutus and Sixteenth, by where Minecraft and Mine Hearts used to be, the place I did a commercial for, and uh, I hated that job so much. And the only thing that got me through it was I was listening to the Giant Bomb podcast, the Giant Bombcast. I don't know if you've ever listened to it. But it yeah. is, it is like four men just like following tangents where, wherever they go, and so that was really my um, my basis for podcasts at that time was just that almost slightly psychotic <laughs> shotgun <laughs> approach to content, and um, and uh, I feel that's matured like 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 everything like us like you and I like the color of our beards and our hairlines they have matured. So, Indeed, uh, per perhaps receded, but anyway, um, yeah, I got and it's I got been a good. 
it's, it's, Sorry, it's I've, been, got, it's, I've got no more receding to do. It's receded. It's gone. <laughs> yeah. Well, in any, in any event, it's been uh, a good year of podcasting. I think we've had some interesting and important milestones. I think we've, uh, to everyone who is listening now and who has been listening for any length of time, we just want to say up front, we appreciate you. Uh, and I know there's more of you now than there was a year ago, which makes sense. But apparently there's more of you now than there was even a month ago. So mm-hmm. that is very um, heartening for yeah. us uh, that, you know, people are paying attention to what we're saying, or at least putting us on in the background while they do chores. That's fine, too. I'm totally <laughs> that is that. really fine. And personally, for me, one of the, the best things that's come out of this cycle of us doing it is we've had way more... Um, times where we've kind of mistakenly found something cool and the big the best example of that is rrr and the entirety of indian cinema that we had no idea about and the number of people who are passionate about that movie and just love loving that movie and uh, uh that's been one of the highlights for me is that whole rrr thing where I actually started by not liking it. By the end of the episode, it had gone up three stars, and then I watched the rest of it. Like, it was wonderful. Yeah, I, I would just like to say, too, for my part, the thing that I like most is that we've definitely had a lot more engagement from listeners this time around. Mm. Lots of people mm. mentioning us on Twitter or DMing us, or I'm in a couple of different uh, film, like, groups and uh, lots more engagement from them as well and that's been great so to everyone who's listening in this first year and to this episode thank you so much and uh we love each and every one of you and i'm trying to say that with my most radio voice ever um (laughs) and i hope you appreciate that yeah awesome yeah so what should we what are we going to cover today then yeah, so we should really get down to this, because this is probably going to be a little bit longer episode than normal, because uh, we are doing a bit of a Marvel extravaganza, as I mentioned at the top of the show. We have, after a two-week break, we have Ms. Marvel to talk about, which just finished on Disney+. Plus. We have Thor Ragnarok, uh, which just came in theaters uh, last week. Uh, and then we're going to talk, talk about our individual top 10 Marvel projects. There are 36 entries in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and we're going to break down our individual top 10s. And then later in the show, after that, we're going to do, uh, we're going to break down a list that I put together as for this one-year anniversary episode, where I actually asked uh, a number of of other film bloggers and film writers and film critics to submit their own top tens. And I've created a bit of a composite top 10 to see like what the community, how they feel about Marvel. And we'll either break down, we'll probably talk about, I'll probably list the top 20 and then we'll break down the top 10 uh, just a little bit to see. Uh, Mostly because I know what they are and Simon doesn't. So mostly we're going to do this to see how Simon reacts to how most people like (laughs) the Marvel universe so it's gonna be and then at the at the end of the show we will have a special treat um the people who many of the people who submitted their top tens uh have also submitted a uh, i've asked them all uh, to be fair i haven't as of recording i haven't received them all but we have asked a number of people to record an audio clip where they just talk very briefly about what their favorite marvel movie is and why and we're going to tack those on at the end of the episode so it's going to be a great one and i think we should probably get down to it so Okay. Let's get started. Uh, Simon, why don't you take us through a brief plot synopsis of Disney Plus's Ms. Marvel? Um, a girl gets given bangle, bangle magic, girl magic, 
girl discovers terrible history of imperialism and colonialism. <laughs> um, girl saves the day. Uh, that, that's pretty much it. Uh, what a joy this is. Like, uh, I, what, what much more is there? A, a young girl who idolizes Captain Marvel and idolizes the Avengers um, discovers um, through her lineage that she is quote-unquote special. I'm not going to use any other adjectives. Uh, but the um, she gets this bangle from her grandmother and her mother's reaction to that bangle and her grandmother dredges up all this family history and it turns out that there's a, a lot of magical history and a lot of things that the mother actually wants to sweep under the carpet. So you've got family drama, you've got a racial drama, you've got kids, like a kids being kids drama, then you've got the superhero element, and then you've got this amazing um, history of <laughs> British colonialism that I had no idea about because let me tell you something, when you grow up in England, they don't teach this to you. <laughs> they don't mention the word India. They talk about the times where we won. So they talk about the Second World War and the First World War and uh, everything in between. And um, when... Uh, wait, wait, wait. They don't talk about partition when they talk about British no, history? No, no. In... I had no idea. No, of course. And just no. for the record, partition is is after the Second World War. Like, it's... Yeah, so... I I uh, got to the end of episode five of Miss Marvel, which has a beautifully paced and uh, a very un like relaxed. Ah, I'll get to that later. But this episode where there's a flashback and there is history of something that the British did that I had no idea about, and I turned to my wife and I'm like, "So are you telling me that Pakistan only exists because we did this, and then because we did this, that happened?" She's like, "Yeah." I had no idea. So it's been very educational for me as well. What's your take on Miss Marvel? Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just I'm just still in shock that um, they don't teach British history in British history classes. But oh, that's... Sure, they do. sure they do. Of course they I do. Mean... They, teach, they teach the times where we ran in like Winston Churchill with, uh, with uh, a cup of tea in one hand and uh, a single pistol in the other hand and took down Jerry... Uh, whilst flying a Spitfire with our feet over the channel before jumping out and um, and uh, helping the French who were completely overwhelmed and did nothing. Like, this is British history. Because course. I shouldn't be surprised when I uh, I know for a fact that, because I have a book, I think a book that you gave me actually, because I like mm -hmm. old like old history books, oh, I love that, that is book. an account of the Battle of Jutland, which is a major World War One naval battle, which the British soundly at the very like at the very least at the most generously you could say is that they didn't lose but it was the <laughs> end of british naval supremacy and the whole book makes it sound like uh, a victory for strategic purposes when really it was like they hadn't fought a battle in forever and they didn't rout the enemy like no one it was it's yeah british history is interesting anyway uh my take on that's very much like miss marvel actually so my take on miss marvel is that it's pretty great I, and and I loved it from start to finish. I I loved that it is a, a sort of a wonderful family story. It's a it's a a pretty great uh, hero origin story. Um, I think Aman Vellani, the young actress who plays Kamala Khan, is wonderful. I think that um, the actors who play her parents, uh, who are who are they? <laughs> uh, Monan Kapoor and uh, Zenobia Shroff. 
um, play uh, Yusuf and Muniba Khan, uh, mm-hmm. and they are wonderful as your parents. Uh, and I know that they are um, uh, Indian actors and stars in their own right. Um, mm-hmm. I think that the whole cast knocks it out of the park. I think it does a really good job of exploring uh, a family's history um, and and an Indian American uh, or Pakistani American uh, cultural context. I love that it touches on partition. I love that it touches on all of these things that probably every Pakistani family has a story from. In fact, the show even calls that out that every every family from that region has. Mm-hmm. a has a partition story um and i thought it looked i thought it was directed amazingly which is something i've kind of been on annoyed about with the the marvel cinematic universe tv shows i've felt like a lot of them haven't had strong visual sense or direction and this had a wonderful distinct colorful visual style um and i just love that uh iman Vellani in particular who is a Marvel fangirl in real life, self-confessed, um, mm. plays a character who's also an Avengers fangirl. And it just really comes through that she loves this whole universe through and through, character and mm. actor. And I really, really adored it start to finish. I, yeah. I know there's been some backlash. I know that it... Um, well, backlash is the wrong word. But I know that um, it's... Depending what data source you pay attention to, it's one of the lowest viewed disney plus marvel shows but eh, i mean i I sort of has i don't want to use that as any kind of like measure of quality there's lots of great things that don't get viewed very much and lots of terrible things that get viewed a lot and this had to compete it overlapped with obi-wan kenobi and like every summer prestige show coming back so Mm -hmm. and for lack and you know for lack of a better way to put it there's also the onset of marvel fatigue but that's kind of a a shame because this is for those of us like me who the fatigue is kind of of the sameness i've actually been really enjoying how interesting and unique and different each of the phase four entries have been and this is a great example of that and uh, again i loved it i loved the whole thing i loved it from start to finish mm-hmm. and i i'm really excited to see how she interacts with um ms marvel with captain marvel mm-hmm. in and uh um monica rambeau uh in the marvels i think next year is the next is the ms marvel the captain marvel sequel and it has all three of them uh captain marvel from captain marvel and monica rambeau from a wandavision and ms marvel from this show and mm-hmm. i'm very much looking forward to that now not that i wasn't before but i really am now that i know that all three main characters are are pretty great yeah i mean there's good casting there's great casting and then there's iman Vellani as miss marvel like i don't think they could have found a more perfect kamala khan if they had somehow brought the character in the comics to life with magic like she is so uh perfect and she is a massive mcu or marvel fangirl in um recently this week she corrected kevin feige on um which earth they are in which look that up it's very very funny she knows her shit she really knows her stuff and there's pictures of her when she's a kid dressed as captain marvel when the movie came out and this fangirly like massively doe-eyed earnestness that she's got in real life 
which is quite hard actually to do on screen without it being really cheesy and over over the top. She manages to nail that completely with this wonderfully like genuine, likable approach to her character. There isn't happy and smiley all the time. Like it's not just one level, and she uh, she she carries the whole thing for me. And that the approach to the whole Miss Marvel series. Like I'm so sick of watching terrible takes about this on TikTok and on Twitter about idiots who. For, for whatever reason are and honestly it's usually white guys who are saying oh i'm struggling to watch this so i can know what's going on in the next movies like what what is your idea of good because this six these six episodes have more color and creativity and comic book earnestness which comic book move like things should be bright and exciting and earnest and hopeful it, it can have the dark as well but I still think we're trying to crawl our way out of this idea that comics should be dark and mysterious and and like that's the only way they can be meaningful. And this is so meaningful and it's um it's directed by the people who are from the culture that that these people are from. Even like Karachi and and the uh, Indian population in New York as well. And it's so authentic. And there's a couple of episodes where they go to Karachi and there's a flashback episode. And it was really, really nice to see something shot in that location without the orange filter, without making it look like uh, it, um, like the Westerners' idea of what these places should look like. It was mm-hmm. bright and vibrant. And it. Um, one other thing I really noticed about the direction that is very, very clear in the fifth episode is that it absolutely refuses to rush the character moments to get to the next action scene. One of the big complaints I have about MCU in movies and TV shows is that it, it sometimes feels like there's a, a, a forward motion to get to the next big moment or action scene, and it doesn't give the actors enough time to be the characters. This was one of my major complaints after the latest Doctor Strange. And this is the other way. This absolutely refuses to rush that. And so the whole of episode five, which is uh, mostly without Kamala Khan in it, it's about her, like two, three generations above her, about the partition in India and about the things they were going through. And uh, it's wonderful. And it features a bunch of people we've never seen before because they are not in the present day. And it just felt like a really, really clever piece of television. And so when it cuts back to then the last episode where it has the the big face-off and it accelerates again, you just get this feeling of pace changing. It's it's much more interesting than having like acceleration at all times. And I know you can do this on TV compared to movies. You can give your characters a bit more time to breathe. But many of their other shows don't do that. And there's certainly missing elements of that in the movies as well. And uh, it was just so colorful. And it's really nice to watch things with your family as well. My family loved this show. And we're really excited about uh, the next episode coming on. And I feel like they've learned something from it as well. Um I loved it. I absolutely loved it. As you'll see when we start doing our top tens, I think it's one of the best things that's ever come out of the MCU. Yep. Uh, I'd also just like to take it. I just want to shout out the directing team as well. There's th- uh, six episodes uh, and t- uh, one, 
two episodes each per director and episodes one and six were directed by Adil and Bilal, who you probably best remember as directing the, the recent um, bad boys legacy sequel, which was no. shockingly great. Is that them? Is that them? It's the same yeah, people. It's the same, oh, same duo. Yeah. Of course. I love the new, the latest bad boys. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Adil El Arabi and Bilal Fala. Um, and then episodes two and three were directed by uh, Mira Menon, I think. I'm probably butchering these names, so just... If I am, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, but she has directed uh, uh, a number of things. Uh, I don't know that I've seen hardly any of them, but uh, she has directed... She directed two episodes of this. She directed two episodes of For All Mankind, which is a great Apple TV Plus TV show. Uh, the Walking Dead, The Punisher, The Magicians, Man in the High Castle, Glow... Um, uh, she's directed tons of TV uh, and lots of stuff that I really like. Uh, and then the last director is Charmaine. And again, I'm probably going to be butchering this, but is Pakistani Canadian director Charmaine Obaid Chinoy, I think is how it's pronounced. Um, and sort of same, same deal there. Uh, she has just a ton of uh, credits to her name, most of which again I haven't seen, but they are from around the world, and she seems pretty great. Uh, and she's Canadian, and so is Amanda Lani, so I'm going to claim that as a win, no matter what. <laughs> um, but you're right. I mean, I think the problem here, and uh, we had a bit of technical difficulty, so I can't remember if I said this or not, but I think part of the, the thing here is that the show is not the same kind of thing that lots of other Marvel things mm. are. And I think mm. um, if there's if there's one if there's one thing that our cohort of fans, meaning again, middle aged, bearded, white, cisgendered dudes, um, seem to prefer in their superhero stories, it's like dark and gritty, grounded in reality. And I know that I'm and you as well, <laughs> but I am in the minority thinking that maybe these comic book stories should be I don't know comic bookie just wait till you get to my top 10 <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, um and... so i think a lot of people there's a lot of complaints on in the in the social media sphere for these for this new phase of marvel films talking about how like they're not interconnected enough and there doesn't seem to be an overreaching story and every time i hear people talking about that i'm like i have two major takeaways and one is that like it's the new phase of a new whole thing like Go back and watch phase one of the movies again. They were not that inter interconnected. Like, mm -hmm. they were probably less interconnected than these ones are now. Also, can't they just be movies and TV shows? They don't have to all tie together. Especially when... Oh, you. <laughs> but especially when the other thing to consider is that... A, the first three, and at the very least the first one and two phases of the Marvel Cinematic Universe... I mean, they clearly make this shit up as they go. Like, it's not as connected oh, yeah. as you think it is. They're just really okay. good at retconning and picking up threads in, in different ways. Um, but they were also clearly building towards, from a certain point, they're clearly building towards one big final story. And so far in Phase 4, they're building towards at least two or three. And so, just like, try to enjoy them. All I'm trying to say is that, like, try to enjoy each thing on its own, not as, like, a, a chapter of the big basically tv show that we've been watching this whole time because mm -hmm. yeah. i think i think it'll be more rewarded by just approaching everything on its own terms especially because 
things like Ms. Marvel and Thor, Love and Thunder, which we're going to talk about in a minute, are very much their own things first. And I think that's a strength. I think it's I think it's a, a, a better idea to appeal to a broader range of fans than by, by specifically targeting them with individual stuff mm-hmm. rather than just trying to broadly appeal to everyone. Because when you appeal to everyone, you kind of appeal to no one, right? Like mm-hmm. it's uh, whereas if you can make you know something like Ms. Marvel, which very specifically targets its audience, or I would say Thor, Thor very specifically targets its audience too. Like those things are going to hit harder for the people they hit for. I'm just sort of rambling at this point, but I think I think my point's coming across. I, it, it is, but that's the 100 percent where it's going because we're going to talk about Eternals later on, and I feel very strongly about Eternals, not just visually, but it actually told a story the way it told its story was different from other mcu movies and it is a very like the the opinion the discourse is that it's a bad movie because it it's not that cookie cutter thing that people want which is that 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 sort of mcu template now and i think we are i don't know how risk averse marvel truly is because at the end of the day there's still a business and they are owned by a company that is extremely risk adverse and is very much a company that will pander to this sort of minority of loud voices saying what they want. We saw it with Star Wars. And so I don't, I, I, I don't have as much faith in Marvel as I think you do in making interesting diverse standalone things in the future because all all the the voices want is another avengers versus thanos crossover all, all the all i've seen talk about is like who's the big bad who's who's it going towards who will be in the avengers who will do this who's this person what's their significance like that's the the that's the thing they want and to be fair that's the thing that makes mcu stand out is that it was guided towards the shared universe and now everyone and their mother's trying to copy it and and failing pretty badly because it turns out it's really hard to keep all those plates spinning and to be fair kevin feige's been excellent at it but i do wonder how many more risks how many risks they'll take in the future well i'll say two things one i i don't think that they have i think they can take all the risks they want like Eternals, and is, I hate I hate to use box office as like a measure of quality because it's just not that. <laughs> but also, Eternals made four hundred million dollars in the middle of a pandemic, and like that's that's those numbers are stunted because of that pandemic. Like I didn't see Eternals in theaters, and I've seen like the only movies that I didn't see in theaters from the Marvel universe are the ones that came out in the pandemic. And I know I'm not alone on that. Like, lots of people couldn't go to the movies. The other thing I'll say is that I think Kevin Feige is still probably one of the smartest guys in Hollywood. And I think he probably knows that if he just does the same thing again, that is to say, like, everything builds towards one story and one big final crossover, it's not going to succeed. Like, you can't just, that's not sustainable, right? Especially when Endgame sort of marked the the end point for some of the original characters from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So, and I think that's why he's clearly building towards a young Avengers team 
and he's clearly building towards Kang the Conqueror and some kind of multiversal major conflict. And it's clearly building towards some kind of cosmic threat as well. You know, like there's there's multiple things going on. And I think that as much as as much as comic book nerds want comic book movies, I I find that there's some, there's like a there's like a disconnect there. Like this is what comics are like. There's there's thousands of stories going on all at the same time, and that's okay, right? Like it's it's I want I want more stuff, not less. I want as much as I said that like a broad appeal is a bad thing, but it, it's it's not appeal I'm talking about though. It's that like they're trying to push into more different directions because that's at this point that's the key to success, I think. Mm-hmm. So, I hope so. I, I I hope that's the case. I hope that they do take more risks and um, yeah. I think they are building towards a big t- crossover. I don't think there's anything else that they're that is their if you pun the pun that is their own game. Probably for every phase now is to build towards one big epic thing that's like crossing over everyone. Because, I mean, maybe I don't. I spend money at this point. I kind of hope that it's not exactly that because I think that you know the Young Avengers, and you know there's some rumor that uh, there's there's clearly a Young Avengers team being slowly put together. There's clearly a Thunderbolts team, which is like bad good guys, mm-hmm. like Dark Avengers, being put together. And I would love to see any version of that face off. Uh, Kang the Conqueror is super interesting and and like. Kang the Conqueror as a big bad doesn't necessarily work because Kang the Conqueror is a a multiversal time-traveling figure, so you could fight him like ten different times and it would be ten different versions of him. I think that Mm -hmm. is super interesting. We imagine we get um, uh, what is his name? Uh, Jonathan something who's playing Kang. Uh, Majors, Jonathan Majors. We get him back. Imagine we get him ten times playing ten completely different characters, but they're all the same character. And he would yeah. be amazing at that. Yeah. So I, we're sort of off track of how great Miss Marvel is here. But the last thing I will say is that because of the pandemic, there has been, and I can just pull it up because I have the information just on my little sheet here. But so from 2008 to 2012, there was six Marvel movies. And from 2013 to 2015, there was six. And from 2016 to 2019, there was three, six, nine, eleven. In phase four, there's been one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen things, thirteen movies and TV shows since last year. So I think we're all just feeling a little overwhelmed. Yeah, this and is the first phase where they've incorporated TV shows as well, right? All the other phases have been movies. Is that is that correct? Yeah, but I guess my point here is that it's all been kind of compressed by the pandemic, right? Like mm-hmm. WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Black Widow, and I think Loki as well uh, were all supposed to come out the year before. Like it was supposed to be at least mm-hmm. another year like those that these were stretched out over. And I think that for better or for worse, Marvel fans have been trained to watch all the things, to know all the plot threads, and I think a lot of us are just kind of tired. Mm, yeah. So, and it's a shame that Ms. Marvel has to be 
you know, maybe this is one that's suffering from that, but it's a shame because it's a great show and it's one of the best things they've made. And that's yeah, my yeah. review right there. Yeah, I agree. hundred percent. So now that we're done bitching and moaning about the Marvel cinematic universe <laughs> and, <laughs> and also praising Ms. Marvel is one of the best things that came out. I think we should move on. <laughs> oh no. Uh, I mean, do you have anything else to say about Ms. Marvel? I mean, other than, no, I just, I've just realized that I, I've been picking apart MCU until, and we haven't even started talking about Thor yet. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I feel like I might be, I might be repeating myself a little bit, but no, I, I've got nothing more to say about Miss Marvel apart from you should all bloody watch it. Like it's really, really good. Even if you're not really into superhero stuff, it's super interesting, really well made. Uh, the only thing that I would have improved is another edit pass on it. I think some of the editing is a little um, offbeat, but really that's the only thing about it that I didn't like. Um, it's wonderful. Really wonderful. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, what would you give it out of five? Um, it's Marvel five. It's a five. Easy. Ooh, nice one. Very nice. Well, what about you? Um, I would... It's, it's a four. It's a high four, but it's a four for mm-hmm. me um let me just bring up my letterbox here but yeah i know it's a four i don't need to bring up my letterbox it's a four mm-hmm. um but that's like you know when you're only rating in whole numbers between one and five mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a different thing yes so okay. yeah uh let's move on we're gonna move on to <laughs> thor love and thunder which is the latest uh, Thor movie, shockingly enough. Um, also by director Taika Waititi, uh, as was Thor Ragnarok, the previous film, uh, and concerns the uh, everyone's favorite god of thunder traipsing around the universe uh, trying to fight Gore the God Butcher, who's uh, played by Christian Bale. What um, I don't really want to say anything more, because the trailers in this movie sort of don't don't really tell you what the plot's going to be exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do a pretty good job of obscuring the plot. I don't want to say too much more about it, but what mm-hmm. I will say is that this movie is not the movie that you're going to expect if you haven't seen it already, although it's been in theaters for over a week, so maybe you have. I don't know. Um, but I don't know. What did you think What did you think of Thor Love and Thunder, Simon? I'm struggling to put together my feelings, even though I will preface that by saying that overall I actually liked it a lot. Do you know why you're struggling? It's because it doesn't work. Oh, no, it works. Just, <laughs> that was uh... that for a hot take. <laughs> so here's the thing. Okay, no, uh, let me it... clarify. Like, for me, before you talk about your thing, Taika, I love Taika Watiki. I think he's brilliant. I think he's a genius. I think he's an amazing writer, an amazing director. His approach to stuff is all about balance of... Like he, he said himself that he uses humor to deflect from the dark elements and it's the balance of character of plot and of humor in Ragnarok is perfect in, uh, what we do in the shadows is perfect in, um, Oh, what's that amazing film we did with Sam Neill and the kid, uh, oh, the hunt for the wilder people, hunt for the wilder people. Perfect. Um, the, for me, love and thunder gets the balance completely wrong. And I think, I've been thinking about this, I think a major part of this is that in Thor Ragnarok, your um, antagonist was uh, Kate Blanchett's amazing Hela, who, as she was killing people, was making pretty sarcastic jokes. 
to um your uh, the Josh Drake guy. Oh help. Carl Urban. Thank you, Carl Urban. Urban Urban was her person to make jokes to. She's slicing people through the face, and she's still like this terrifying dark element. In Love and Thunder, Christian Bale, God the God Butcher, is wonderful. I mean, he's amazing in this, but his character comes from a place of pure, just heartbreak. The heartbreak of a parent who decides to try and do something about it. And he doesn't make jokes. He he doesn't have, he's not a foil for the humor coming out of Thor. And for me, the whole movie is like skewed completely towards uh, the, to, to um, the kind of humorous approach that actually starts affecting the pace of the whole thing. And uh, I think a large part of that was the balance on the other side was, was wrong. Um, anyway, what's your thing? It's, it's interesting. Cause I don't, you know, they don't share that much screen time. So I don't think, mm-hmm. I don't think it's necessarily fair to say that Christian Bale isn't a great foil for Thor specifically, but I will say that while the, the balance to me doesn't feel like it's off but it does feel much more extreme like the it's mm-hmm. there's not very much tonally speaking in this movie that is middle of the road right it's either mm-hmm. like extremely bright and happy and funny or extremely dark and heartbreaking and there's not a lot of middle ground and i totally get that for lots and lots of people that is probably gonna feel like whiplash um mm-hmm. for me it worked and for me, there was more good than bad. And mm-hmm. I had a great time watching this movie. I thought it was, again, like bright and colorful. And it has an amazing visual sense. There's a whole sequence on a planet that is black and white for reasons. Mm-hmm. That is, it looks amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a whole subplot where, like, Stormbreaker, which is Thor's axe, <laughs> is jealous of Mjolnir. Which is, like, I don't care what Odin says. That is goofy as fuck and very funny. <laughs> I laughed every time it happened. Mm-hmm. And like, I think, again, I totally get that, that it is, it's totally whiplash, but it did work for me. It did mesh for me. And I, I will say too, that it, it does feel like this is, it's a two hour and five minute movie or so. And it does definitely feel like a three hour movie with 55 minutes cut out of it. Like it does feel like there's subplots that are unexplored. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, I think part of that is the marketing. Like there was a lot of talk in the marketing about how this would be about, um, there'd be a whole story of, you know, King Valkyrie finding her queen. And that just isn't in the movie. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, there's a, there's a whole bunch of promises of representation that just aren't really present. And I think if you're going to promise representation, put it more simply, if you're going to tell me you're going to make a gay movie, make a gay movie, you know, like, <laughs> but overall like i i still had a great time watching it like i can i you know i we're adults i can look at a thing and be like i really like this thing that's kind of a problem but i really like this thing and that's how i look at this one mm-hmm. uh, i it's for me it'd be worth watching just for christian bale he is so good yeah. as gore the god butcher um, his performance is like firing at all cylinders the whole time and even at times where he's trying to be he, I would say, let me say that again. He actually manages to find a balance between being 
heartbreaking and terrifying and hilarious mm. just because he's a great actor. Uh, and I think that Chris Hemsworth finds a really good balance of being really heartfelt and really silly because he's super good at playing kind of dim. <laughs> do you know what I'm trying to say? Um, yeah. I think, I think this yeah. movie for me is sort of made on the performances. I was so happy to see Natalie Portman back and mm-hmm. I, I, I sort of knew how her character arc was going to go. Um, because I've read the comics. Um, and it's, again, it's hard to speak without spoilers, even though we're mm-hmm. you know, two weeks late seeing this. I'm sure everyone's already seen it, but um, I, I like, I liked it. I liked it a lot. I liked it from start to finish. I, you know, it has problems. Parts of the first act yeah. are fairly rushed, you know, like the how Jane Foster becomes, uh, how picks up Mjolnir is super rushed. Uh, it's not unexplained. It just happens really quickly, you know. It's uh, yeah. It's and that's not. It's. I guess I've read enough comics that that doesn't bother me. You know, like this is a kind of thing that, like, that story in a movie rushed. Sure, in a comic book, it would be two pages and six frames, and it don't doesn't really. Mm-hmm. As long as it makes sense, I guess it doesn't have to bother me, because again, I had a great time watching this one, and uh, yeah. Yeah, I, f- I mean the. I feel I feel like I'm rambling the, again. <laughs> that's that's fine. The chaotic mix of this, it, like your opinion of this movie, is going to be 100 percent dependent on whether that mix works for you. And I actually found for me the balance was off, and it felt like so much of this movie dragged, like and had just the weirdest pacing issues. I mean, you talking about. Um, being a longer movie that was chopped down makes perfect sense because there were some scenes that didn't naturally flow into others. There were there's, uh, the the battle in the black and white realm felt like it was in the wrong place completely. There's a, the, a massive pace drop before and after that as well. Um, the the whole scene where they go and see Zeus in in the Hall of Gods, whatever that's called was it just dragged like the humor wasn't landing the the beats were off i didn't think natalie portman who is one of my favorite actors i don't think she looked comfortable like delivering those like comedic lines about when she wants to go and fight that didn't click for me at all and um see, see my, read, my read on that is that i don't i don't disagree but my read is that like she was uncomfortable jane is uncomfortable so that yeah, no, no, no. But she it was when she was trying to be really enthusiastic about going to like kill people and like the whole thing about his that whole conversation they have about here. I've been trying out some catchphrases, didn't land for me at all, at all. And so it made her emotional beat at the end didn't work for me either because what had what was linked to that earlier just didn't feel like it, it worked at all for me. I I am sounding negative about this movie. I think two things impacted it. The first is that I saw it in 3D and it's just a mud fest in 3D. Oh, they're coming to get me. The Marvel police are coming to get me. Yeah. But the, the black and white scene in where I saw it was just mud. And I saw, um, uh, funny enough, in the evening, I saw an extended trailer with some black and white fighting and it looked really crisp and clear and really nice. And I really regret seeing it in 3d. I had no choice whenever possible. I watch things 
non-3D and I'm so sick of it and I wish it would just die because you pay extra for the privilege and it is significantly worse experience unless it's shot for 3D like um, like Avatar and so on but also the weird thing about this movie is that there's parts there's very specific parts of this movie that I absolutely adored including the it's at the beginning it's not really a spoiler but one of the first groups of nameless enemies that Thor fights to establish that he's a badass are these amazing like owls owl warriors on speeder bikes yep. and i would watch the whole movie of owls on speeder bikes looking shocked as he like stops them in the splits absolutely on board for that and there's a scene later on which uh is a very typical taika watiki kind of move uh using empowered children to fight darkness is something he does in a few movies and there's one moment of that which is set to a very specific ending to a very specific song that is probably maybe my favorite scene from any mcu movie so you have got these contrasts where i didn't really like the movie it didn't really work for me but it has these shining amazing ideas and moments in it bit of a curate sec I I am in a, I just want to correct you on on one very small thing. You're going to correct it, me? I am. His what name is I pronounced Watiti. What did I say? Watiki. <laughs> you said you said it twice now. <laughs> oh, come on. I'm English. I'll just call him Bob. <laughs> um, actually his real name isn't Watiti at all. I looked this up on for some reason I he, I was on Wikipedia yesterday. And um, his actual, like, what he's His name is like uh, Cohen or something, isn't it? Name. It is. Oh, hang on. I was on. Here we go. His name is Taika David Cohen on O N Z M. So uh, that I, means Order of New Zealand, or New Zealand Order of Merit. That's uh, he's like, right. So, it's so like the Order of Canada. Ta- right. So da- Taika David Cohen. So. Uh, anyway, I apologize, Taika, for getting your name wrong in my most English way. Um, but, uh, I mean, he's he's one of my favorite creators, so it kind of hurts a bit. And I love Ragnarok, so it, it did sting a little bit to see something that just didn't work for me. But those little moments were worth it. I'm definitely going to rewatch it. I've got a sneaking suspicion I might like it more when it comes out on Disney Plus and I watch it at home purely because I'd be able to see what's going on, but it, it, it didn't work for me, unfortunately. Well, that's a shame because it really did work for me. Uh, it's interesting because a a lot of things um, that you're saying, I don't disagree with, but for me, the good outweighs the bad. Mm, That's fair. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's uh, how many stars for you? Four, four to five. I loved it. I thought Ooh. it was great. Interesting. Um, and for you? Two. It's a two. A two. Ooh. Two out of five for you. I mean, that's a shame, but it does seem to be how this film is going. It does seem to be a bit of a love it or hate it affair. Yeah, yeah it really is. Yeah. yeah. So that's a shame. But I mean, to me, that means, as always, if you're listening to us uh, and you agree with us or you disagree with us, you should go see the movie and make up your own mind. Because that's what our minds are for. For the love of God, don't watch it in 3D. But yeah, you're honestly, like, like I saw, I wonder how much my opinion is different because yeah. I saw it in 2D 
and glorious, crisp, bright, colorful 2D. Because <laughs> 3D is bad. It's just bad. And even it if you have those glasses that de-3DI's stuff, then they, uh, I think the colors are still muted. And that it, it really bothers me how colors get muted in 3D. Yeah. And the whole thing gets darkened. I hate it. I hate it a lot. Yeah. yeah. And I hate that how sometimes it's your only option. All right. Okay. Well, so Thor Love and Thunder uh, is still in theaters, and you should go see it uh, and then tell us whether you agree or disagree. And yes. Now, so now we're going to move on in our next segment of our Marvel extravaganza, uh, and we are going to talk about our own personal top ten lists. Um, so this is just our opinion. I'd like to uh, come out ahead before we do this that obviously art is subjective, and these movies are art. So uh, <laughs> feel free to disagree with us. Feel free to, to talk with us about it. But they are just our opinion, and don't confuse our opinions for your own. Yeah. Uh, or the other way around. So this uh, is this is the thing I said this to you this week, didn't I? About trying to find there's no such thing as a consensus with this anymore because art is subjective anyway. But there's been so many entries now, and they're all so um, different in their kind of focus, if not style. Then it's impossible. It's all going to be so personal, isn't it? So yeah, we get to, personal things. When we get to the next segment where we talk about. Uh, how I put the list together of the consensus top 10 and and how that top 10 shakes out. I think there's going to be, it's either going to be shocking or, oh, so <laughs> it's one of, <laughs> one of those two for sure. Uh, so should we start with your top 10, Simon? Yeah. Let's start there. So what is your number 10 and to be just to be clear this is open to all 36 entries of marvel cinematic universe stuff so that means mm -hmm. all the movies all the disney plus tv shows but not um the netflix stuff <laughs> not um agents of shield or any of the other stuff that was on tv previously so just the mcu movies and just the disney plus yes. mcu tv shows That's so right. and also the, the uh the non-mcu produced um movies we'll talk about later as well won't we yeah, we'll have a bit of a chat about those two. So my number 10 um, is Miss Marvel. Straight in at number 10. I, we don't need to talk about how great that is. I, I really, uh, it really blew me away with the color. With There's three things in this, actually, that have influenced me with color and a non-Western approach to the storytelling. And um, I, it, they, they are all in my top 10 because of that. So Miss Marvel's number 10 for me. What's your number 10? Are we going back and forth or just, just me? No, no, let's go back and forth. Because my number okay. 10 is also Miss Marvel. Uh, Yay! For all the same Consensus. reasons. <laughs> I, I, I loved it. I thought it was great. I thought that uh, it's one of the best things. That, uh, I said on Twitter even uh, the other day that I thought it was one of the best things the Marvel Cinematic Universe has produced. And I wasn't lying. I really do. So mm -hmm. you should definitely uh, see it. Yeah, that's my my opinion. <laughs> my number, I and and I like it. Um, my number nine, and I'll be curious if I'm the only one to have this in my top ten. But my number nine is Eternals. Is it the Eternals or just Eternals? It's just, it's just Eternals. Marvel's Eternals. And it's very interesting when I watched Eternals because I put it off for ages because I've definitely been finding a, a bit of Marvel fatigue, probably a bit more than than you, a bit longer than you have. 
and uh, so I didn't bother watching it because I'm an idiot and um, the general consensus was it's a bad movie and I don't have much time to watch movies. So I do look at Twitter. I do listen to the general sort of scuttlebutt about what's going on, but it's, it's all wrong. I should know. I've been proven so many times how it can be completely wrong. I love Eternals. I don't just like it. It's at number nine because I love it. I love that um, Chloe Zell, uh, I'm sorry if I've said that wrong, but her approach to storytelling is really distinct. I love the colors. I think the the CG fights happen in daylight. <laughs> that gives it a star. Like that the the fighting in Eternals, I can see it all. The camera is almost static. It sweeps and it's all in like well lit. <laughs> That goes a long way because I'm so sick of people fighting in the dark. <laughs> Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah, um, so um, I loved the character work. I love the idea of gods going like crazy, like a god um, dementia that being part of the story. I love how the resolution is not fighting. Um, uh, I love the ensemble. Uh, I just loved it. I loved it from front to back. It's the only movie oh no i've got one other movie that i own in um, mc movie that i own in 4k eternals will be my second when i can afford to buy it it's you? interesting What's you know it? i have i have one major complaint about eternals you know what that is um, it's that for all of the interconnectedness of the mcu i i really wish that any other property since it's come out would reference the fact that there's a big stone yeah. god coming out of the Pacific Ocean. At this, right. the Pacific or the Indian Ocean, whatever it is. There's a huge yeah. god, a head and a hand sticking out of the ocean, and they're just we just haven't addressed that yet. Yeah. So that's... I hope I hope that we do yeah. soon. Yeah. What's your you number know? nine? My number nine is the original Iron Man, uh, which is we actually I watched it not that long ago, and it's still a fun movie. And uh still it's it's I find it actually super interesting to watch that movie today because you can see the seeds that they're planting for like an interconnectedness, but they are like they're so subtle compared to what they do now. Like people anyone who complains about how these films just aren't that interconnected now, you know, after the last you know, two movies have, have featured full blown characters crossing over from one to the other, whereas in, in Iron Man they don't even have a name for Shield at this point. They don't like. They don't have an, an anagram. It's 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 pretty ridiculous. Uh, for better or for worse, it did establish Marvel's ongoing sort of format for their first whole bunch of films, which is basically you know, um, the hero faces a dark side version of themselves, uh, who may or may not have been a sage character who was on their side at one point. Uh, but it's hard to ignore the magnetism of um robert downey jr and of tony stark and about interestingly the the very last shot of the movie where tony declares to the world that he is indeed iron man signaled an an interesting and for movies anyway new direction for comic books to go like mm -hmm. for comic book movies to go and it's just i find it hard to ignore that um mm -hmm. Uh, and so it's my number nine. I think getting Robert Downey Jr. to tell a story of redemption at oh, a time perfect. where he was telling the same story, and yeah. he's a great actor. I don't think the MCU would be 
what it is today if they had cast somebody else in that role. I think it's that significant. I know. I um, think I don't think you're wrong. I think uh, yeah. it's a on an ongoing basis. I think the Marvels, certainly through Phase Three, anyway, Marvel's strength has been casting um, oh. and character work. And I think that if they hadn't had Robert Downey the first time around, I it, you know it may not have worked like at all. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and, you know, and to be yeah, fair, definitely. the second movie they made was The Incredible Hulk, and th- and that movie they made a mistake, mm-hmm. and it's it's knowing that it's kind of amazing that they were able to recover. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. anyway, that's my number nine. What is your number <laughs> eight Marvel project? My, uh, my number eight is the TV series Loki. I yeah. love me some Doctor like Doctor Who. It was just classic Doctor Who. Like really well made classic Doctor Who, and um, again, Tom Hiddleston absolutely carries this. He, he, what I really like about his Loki is that it would be very easy to play it as another Joker style trickster with like superficial, and he manages to to almost simultaneously be trouble and emotional and witty and. Dower and he he's an incredibly gifted actor and i i love time travel movies anyway and um own wilson was wonderful and a big part of why i love loki was the design of the uh whatever that group is called that controls time you'll tell oh, me the, now, the, the tva the time variance mm-hmm. authority right all that slightly like late 70s equipment to control time just really hit home for me and um it was beautifully designed like visually as well, beautifully shot. And there were a, a few uh, weaker moments around like the action scenes, but there's a, for the most part, like 95% of the show I thought was incredible. And I really like, we talked about this when it came out, the show ended on a duologue. Like the, the big fight was a fight of words, which is perfect for the character of Loki, right? And um, I, I loved it. Again, it did something a little bit different. So mm-hmm. really loved it. Yeah, I mean, I imagine we'll talk a lot about how Marvel casts great actors because Tom Hiddleston is incredible. And uh, I think that show does a really good job of explaining how the multiverse works. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think you need to watch it to have continuity with any of the stuff that's come out since really, but if you want to understand how Marvel's multiverse works, it's a really good uh, explanation mm-hmm. of that. And in particular, because this version of Loki is pulled out of time before he'd had the chance to reform in Ragnarok mm-hmm. and and Endgame to a lesser extent, but Ragnarok in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he has to go through all that character development again, and it's handled really beautifully. And okay. I, I also... Uh, for me, that movie is in somewhere in the top, like between ten and twenty, or that show is somewhere between ten and twenty. But yeah, it's amazing. It's yeah. it's fantastic. Yeah. What's your number eight? My number eight is uh, Spider Man: Far From Home, which no. is the oh. the second of the Tom Holland Sony produced Marvel Cinematic sitting uh, Spider Man movies. Interestingly, I think it's also your number seven. Is that right? Oh, I was about to. Yes, that was my big reveal. <laughs> yeah. My seven is so we can we can talk about it a little bit more. But 
basically, um, as much as I think that the Spider-Man character was made whole by No Way Home, um, I think this one does a really good job, and I think Tom Holland is very much to credit for this, of selling Peter Parker sort of coming into his own. Like, I think mm-hmm. the the thing to realize about the MCU Spider-Man films is that they sort of the three movies basically end at a point where the character sort of began in the comics. You know, there's a thing the with great power comes great responsibility isn't said to him until nearly halfway into his third movie. So when you take that into consideration for a long time, I viewed that as a bit of a flaw from homecoming that it wasn't in there, but appreciating that it's him, his step in learning this whole, his whole story, his whole trilogy is about him learning to be, the hero we all know and love. And this movie is about him coming to be able to trust himself. And I thought it was brilliantly executed. And, uh, and for lack of a better way to say it, it's a very Spider-Man story. And I'm sure you'll have something more eloquent to say than that. <laughs> I'm not sure about that, but it is my number seven. And what what I love about this movie is it has everything that Homecoming didn't have and No Way Home didn't have. Like Spider-Man was my was my superhero when I was a kid. Spider-Man was my hero. There was no one else that matched up to Spider-Man. So um, the I didn't really like Homecoming. I think there was too much missing from what I, my idea of what Spider-Man should be, even though Tom Holland is, again, a brilliant piece of casting. My wife would agree. <laughs> she, she does love a bit of Tom Holland. Interestingly, um, in Miss Marvel, the actor who plays Bruno, um, Kamala's best friend, Matt Lintz, mm-hmm. was, it was between him and Tom Holland for Spider-Man. Oh, so interesting. You can kind of see the look they were going for, that young boyish, foppish look. Um, but Tom is brilliant. And the uh, even though... Spider-Man, for me, is a New York character. Far From Home removes him from that environment, but puts him in in interesting architecture. That Homecoming doesn't really do that. In fact, it makes a joke about him trying to swing where there's nothing to swing on. And um, him swinging around Venice and the different cities he, he visits um, whilst battling Jake. Jake Gyllenhaal is one of my favorite actors anyway, and he is so good in this. He's having so much fun, especially when you get the twist and you you work out uh, who he actually is and what actually is going on. And the ending is a perfect Spider-Man ending about learning his skills, using his skills, trusting his skills. Um, It does that classic thing of like getting rid of the fancy suit so he can wear his old like uh, homemade suit so he can be more true to himself. And um it just works from front to back. I love that movie. I love the supporting cast. Absolutely adore. Um, uh, oh God, the, uh, MJ. Oh, it's gone from my mind. Zendaya. You mean Zendaya? You mean Zendaya? Zendaya. Zendaya. Thank you. I do mean Zendaya. Zendaya is wonderful anyway as an actor, and um, she's just great in this. And I love like the little friend ensemble. I think it's brilliantly directed as well. So, out of all the Spider men movies of this tom holland era this is the very clear standout for me mm-hmm. so that's my number seven so what's awesome. your number seven where it's your seven? number seven is the best iron man movie iron man three which is directed <laughs> by shane black 
uh, and is peak Robert Downey quippiness and also is a perfect follow-up to the Avengers in terms of character arc for Tony Stark. Um, it's got one of the, it was one of the first ones with a really distinct directorial touch, which I really appreciate. Um, and I just love the story. I love, I, I love, I know you don't, but I love Shane Black movies too. So that doesn't exactly hurt. Uh, and this has all of the Shane Black touches right down to the precocious child character who interacts with the main character. Um, and uh, it was also the first one where, you know, Iron Man had had two movies ahead of this. And in both of them, the bad guy was another guy in an iron suit. And this one was the first one where it wasn't. And I'm a huge fan of Guy Pierce. Um, and and I know lots of people don't like it, but I think the twist to do with the Mandarin is <laughs> one of the smartest and funniest things that Marvel has ever done. And mm-hmm. so in a lot of ways, it was the first one where, like, not to say they hadn't taken liberties with characters and storylines, because they definitely had at this point. They had taken a few characters to... Um, and, and liberties to to tell the stories they wanted to tell. But this was the first time that really indicated to me that like all bets are off. Like we, we are we are happy to take your expectations and completely subvert them. And mm-hmm. uh, I love this movie as a result. So mm-hmm. I know you don't agree with me, but it's okay because art is subjective. He is a very distinct he has a very distinct voice and it doesn't work for me when he's a director. Uh, I like I, I don't mind him. Like I love the first two Lethal Weapons where he's the the writer and the story provider for that. I don't mind the long kiss goodnight. Um but as like nice by nice guys and Iron Man three and I mean the Predator is a different kind of thing, but do you I don't, even like, do you I don't, like Kiss I don't Kiss Bang like Bang? Because I love Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. No, I really dislike Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I yeah. actively dislike it. So <laughs> I can see you love those movies. So I can I see do. why you love this movie. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, moving on. So we're up to your number six, I believe. Yep. Uh, so my number six is Thor Ragnarok. And I don't really need to talk too much more about it because it's everything that that um, love and thunder isn't really in that it has the balance for me the balance is perfect we have that amazing character work incredibly colorful brilliantly designed and you actually have a beginning a middle and an end with pace and uh, thor is slightly less idiotic in ragnarok even though he has his moments and uh for me the balance is perfect and hella is uh, the kind of antagonist that fits that style better, I think. Mm-hmm. I love that movie. It's an amazing, amazing film that um, saved Thor because that was the, you know, you had Thor The Dark World before that, which I haven't seen actually, but I hear it's terrible. It's not and, terrible. Like, terrible okay. is a strong word. It's not great. Okay. I don't um, hear good. <laughs> but uh, uh, but I, it's, I, it, yeah, anyway, go on, go on. I think, well, I think it saved Thor as a character. And I think they now have an idea of what to do with Thor, and I'm not sure they did before. But um, that's my number six. Yeah, I mean, certainly, uh, certainly, Thor Ragnarok is a soft reboot of Thor, and yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah well, I'll I'll talk about it more in a minute. Okay. Um, What's six? <laughs> my number six is Captain America: The First Avenger, aka the MCU movie with the most heart. Um, I 
I love me a period action piece. I love the films of Joe Johnston, and I love Chris Evans as Captain America. I think this one does a perfect job of setting him up for his subsequent appearances in the MCU, but more importantly, it does a perfect job in this own movie of setting up Steve Rogers, you know, you know, the, the best man, like he is, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's a lot of talk about in superhero movies about characters like Superman being boring. And I think what it really boils down to with Captain America is that he could be boring too, but you just have to understand that when you're telling a story with a character who is so righteously good and morally good and ethically good and all of the ways he is a he is a peak human being you just have to bend the narrative around him like the narrative needs an arc not the character i guess is what i'm trying to say and mm-hmm. this movie is a perfect example of that does it have a weakness or two i mean yeah there's a montage in the middle that's not amazing but i'm look i'm looking for stuff to not like about it right like it's uh i i love it it was another great example a great early example of pitch perfect casting as well so that's yeah mm-hmm. that's my number six yes i'm i'm gonna talk about that movie a little bit later yeah uh yeah, and your cool. number five my number five is the first and best guardians of the galaxy movie <laughs> 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 Guardians of the Galaxy One, <laughs> yeah, um, which um, uh, James Gunn is is great. <laughs> He's really interesting. And again, so if you don't, it's a bit like Shane Black. If you don't like his style, you're not going to like his movies, and that's fine. Um, but he has a very distinct style, and he's really good with an ensemble. And it's very, very difficult to write and direct an ensemble. And I. For me, Guardians gets the first Guardians gets everything right. Um, the casting's obviously good. The uh, design is wonderful. I absolutely adore the in the last third. There's a big um, fight scene with all the uh, Nova um, airships or the amazing Nova design ships take on the um, the uh, what's his name the. Uh, the Inquisitor. No, what's his name? I've got Star, Star Wars in my head. He's Are you thinking Inquisitor. about Ronan? Uh, the Accuser. Ronan the Accuser, right. yeah. So Ronan the Accuser ship is coming in and all the Nova ships try and push it back. And so there's a, uh, it's a really brilliant beginning, middle and end. Uh, beautifully paced, brilliantly designed, incredibly funny and um, like razor sharp as well. Um Love it. Like, love the Guardians in that movie significantly more than any other movie they've popped up in. I just think everything works in that film. And it doesn't overplay the humor of certain characters that I think later movies does. But um, it's brilliant. Brilliant film. Hmm. Well, I, <laughs> I shockingly, I'm not going to be talking about this one in a minute. Uh, for me, Guardians 1, again, would be probably somewhere between 10, like 11 and 15. Yeah. Uh, there's a, it's inter- there's so many entries that it's actually kind of hard to narrow it down to just 10. But mm-hmm. my number five is actually Avengers Endgame, which is probably the biggest piece of fan service in cinematic history that works. Um, it, uh, in the same way, when we get around to my number one, I'll talk about this a bit more, but these movies... For you know, for a kid who grew up reading Marvel comics, these movies represented something 
special to me. And I didn't honestly know how they were going to pull off doing... Once it became clear they were going to be doing the Infinity Saga, the Infinity Gauntlet, Infinity War story, it didn't. I didn't have any idea how they were going to actually pull it off. And Infinity or Infinity War and Endgame, more specifically, pull it off kind of miraculously. And I don't even think that the Russos are that good of directors, but they're very competent. And I think it owes a lot to. Josh Brolin as Thanos, and I think it owes a lot to these actors all caring about what they're doing, because the first half of this movie is basically The Leftovers, which is a TV show that I think might be the best TV show of the last 20 years, and the last half is the Marvel team-up fight that I've wanted since I knew it was a possibility it could happen. So, yeah, it's my number five. Just because I love the I love the comics and I love these stories, I love these characters, and it's a pretty perfect final team up and end point for all the first five, uh, well, some of the first five characters, and uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say. I loved Endgame a lot. Uh, Endgame and Infinity War don't figure in my top ten at all, actually. No, uh, no, I know they don't. I I think it's I think it's really interesting. I'm not going to talk about this much longer, but I'm I'm very interested in how Endgame did nothing for me. Like I'm I watched that in the cinema with people crying, like openly crying and screaming and shouting and on your left and like it's really good. I love the moment where the Molina goes to Captain America. Chris Evans is fantastic. It's a fantastic moment, and it was just like oh okay, that's good. I'm really interested in how it didn't hit me like you and i think it goes back to like context doesn't it i i didn't i didn't read about these characters when i was young i only really read spider-man and actually a lot of dc heroes um so i i didn't really have that background but um i'm glad it does i i I like seeing people happy in movies and so um it was nice to see that at least yeah, but my uh, number four is another TV series, Moon Knight, with Oscar Isaac, which I actually didn't bother watching until the third or fourth episode was out because, again, I didn't want to watch another person discovering they're a hero and finding their way and learning they can be the person they want to be because I've seen it so many times now, and Moon Knight just blew me away, and again. I love how it was a non-Western influence directing this, like heavy Egyptian influence, as it should be with this character. Oscar Isaac, I think, uh, is probably the best actor working today in any form, on any screen, on any stage. He is phenomenal at, at finding and delivering different characters, sometimes at the same time in this case. I love the direction of this. I adored... Uh, where it went. I think this is, I can't remember the last time I made so much noise during a TV episode. The last episode of this, I was basically standing and shouting by myself in my room, like whooping at the TV, like a 14 year old. It was amazing. And I loved the supporting cast as well. I thought, Oh, (laughs) I thought, uh, let me just stretch for a second while I remember her name. May Kalamawi as Layla was spectacular. I liked Ethan Hawke very, very much. And um, 
it, I just love how it all came together. Just absolute. There was even like a Tomb Raider episode in there as well. Uh, I, I loved it. Adored it. Um, well, I'm not going to talk about it because I didn't. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I'm really, I know that it hit hard for a lot of people and I, it just didn't for me. And we had a whole episode where I talked about that. So I'm not going to mm-hmm. go into it any further. I'm just going to move on. Okay. Because my number, what do we do? Four? We're at number four. It yeah. is the second and best Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Uh, <laughs> Which uh, I I do really love both Guardians movies. I think the Guardians are great characters and a great bunch. Um, for me, the the second one holds significance pretty much because it has a level of um, there's an extra layer of depth there that I think is not missing from the first one. I just think this one is that plus a little more. I tend to react really strongly to films that have uh, a father, especially a fraught father-son type relationship. And this has one of those. And, um, you know, as I love Guardians 1, and I think that Guardians 2 is where the characters all uh, really sort of find their feet. And I know that uh, Simon disagrees with me because he thinks a couple of them, or one of them at least, is completely overplayed. But I, I love... Uh, the new characterization of all of the characters in this movie, the extension, the places where they all go. And I think that it's the movie where sort of Chris Pratt and Zoe Saldana bring their A-game the best. I think the emotional stuff, I think there's a lot more required of them emotionally. And I think they all rise to the occasion beautifully. So. I'm not going to talk much about it. Out of all the movies we've ever disagreed on, this is the one that fascinates me the most because it is just like I've watched this movie three times now and every time I struggle to get through it. Like I, I have quite, it doesn't work for me at all. And so I, I'm not going to go into the reasons why I love that you love it. And you really love this film. Oh I'm yeah. Fasc- I'm fascinated by our different approaches to it. So what's that? Your number four. That's my number four. So your number okay. three is, number th- Oh, I love this movie so much. This is the only movie, MCU movie I currently own on 4k. It's Ant-Man and the Wasp, which I think is just a perfect comic book movie. And, um, I, I enjoyed the first Ant-Man, but it was another like Iron Man. I feel like Ant-Man and the Wasp added elements that, um, really just elevated it. Uh, The cast is fantastic, but the addition of um, Wasp really adds something. And I love the, um, the fight scenes, the small big fight scenes and the chase scene where they escape in a matchbox car and basically flip cars over is one of my kids' favorite scenes. They will ask to watch just that scene over and over. Um, Paul Rudd is fantastic. Uh, Eternal vampire Paul Rudd is brilliant. And um, the character, like, because he's kind of still learning what he found out in uh, Civil War, right? And uh, the way he sort of explores the the character's abilities and uses them um, to sort of save the day is wonderful. And I love all the Quantum Realm stuff as well. It's just a brilliant movie. And I love Ghost as well. I love the actress who plays Ghost and her motivations too really worked for me. So um the also the uh album by christoph beck is incredible it's like a really great jazzy like heist soundtrack and i have that on vinyl and it's wonderful 
It's interesting because I think um, uh, isn't the first Ant Man scored by Michael Giacchino? Uh, no, I it's think both Christoph, Christoph Beck. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you're right though. The uh, the music for both of them is pretty incredible. I don't dislike this movie. I just it's not in my top ten. It's, Fair enough. You know, um, I think it's perfectly fine. I think it's a shame that uh, Evangeline Lilly turned into kind of a mm. garbage human, but that's neither here nor I there. I wonder what I wonder what they're going to do about that because Quantum Mania is deep in pre-production, and uh, I, I, I wonder sure what the answer, their take is going to be. Pretty sure the answer is nothing. Oh, <laughs> oh the. Um, Ezra Miller approach to casting. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, these people are in contracts, and I think if they're going to leave Letitia Wright in Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, I don't think they're mm, going to take advantage yeah, of Billy out of the next Ant-Man movie. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, what's your number three? My number three is Black Panther, which uh, is, I know a lot, it could be a lot of people's number one. Uh, for me, it was the first one where I really, I really appreciated that what am I trying to say? I really appreciated that it was the first one where they were like, let's look at the Marvel Universe from literally any other lens than a cis white dude. And mm-hmm. it's the first one where they were clearly indicating that we're going to do that from now on. We're going to look at things from different points of view um, uh, and examine our culture in maybe a more significant way than we have previously. And then it doesn't hurt that Chadwick Boseman and Michael B. Jordan are incredible actors who are perfect foils for one another as sort of two halves of a, of a similar, of the same coin uh, within the narrative. And the rest of the cast is spectacular too. And Ryan Coogler is an amazing director. And I, I love everything about it. I love basically everything about it ex- except for the post credit scene where Sebastian Stan shows up because I feel like it's unnecessary. The um, the one take in the casino is incredible. And um, I actually, because of the direction of Black Panther, I then back, went back and watched Creed after avoiding it for a long time. I went, oh, okay, this guy can direct like brilliantly. <laughs> yeah. And the, uh, I don't, Black Panther's not, anywhere in my rating i like i i think it's a has a really good elements but i just hated the big cg battle at the end it would look so bad for me and um i i think i just don't react well to we're going to resolve this by having a big cg blowout i'm just done with that kind of now and um i didn't like the last third of this movie at all it's it's interesting because for me and I think another great example of this is actually the first Wonder Woman movie is that I don't mind the big CG blowout as long as it's thematically on point. And mm-hmm. in this case it is because honestly, these movies are always going to have a big CG blowout at the end. So I'm sort of just fine with that. But the way that they, the way the fight works and the way it's resolved in this movie, I think is, you know, as much as you're not wrong, the CGI is kind of bad and weightless. Um, but the way the characters resolve that fight and the way that they speak to one another when the fight is clearly over, I think is probably one of the more poignant moments in that phase, if not the whole MCU. Yeah, there's a lot of poignancy there. Um, a big, uh, I, uh, as a side note, I am 
absolutely against nano suits on any level. I think that incredibly boring way to for someone to put on a suit is to tap something and suddenly it builds around them um from a from a viewer's point of view i think it's incredibly boring and i look forward to nothing but physical suits in the future it's interesting because i don't i don't mind it on black panther but i i hate it on iron man Mm -hmm. uh but that's a whole other thing yeah Uh, so we're up to number two so what is your what is your number two MCU movie. We're up to number two. My number two is the first Avengers from 2012. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in my home country, it was called Avengers Assemble for some reason, but uh, where I watched it here, it's called The Avengers. And we we've talked about Joss Whedon before. We, I I don't really want to talk about the issues with Joss Whedon anymore, but uh, he through his career has demonstrated his ability to control and deliver an ensemble piece. And this was, I think his perfect example of that, of perfectly written, perfectly directed, amazingly uh, cast and acted. Uh, The pacing is perfect from beginning to end. And I, I feel like MCU is going to forever try and recreate and recapture the New York, um, that final moment in New York where they team up and it pans around and um, Hulk smash. Like, I don't think there's ever going to be a better MCU moment. And I know you were in cinemas when that came out and I, I didn't see it with a big bunch of people. And I, if I could go back and rewatch a movie with a bunch of people on opening night, it would be that movie. Cause I've seen, uh, I've seen a reaction video from inside the cinema where you can't hear anything because people are just going apeshit, just like apeshit. And um, I I think it's a singular moment in sort of superhero movie making that everyone, MCU and their competitors, uh, are trying to capture that one moment of elation. I mean, yeah, you're not wrong, and um, I I'm not going to speak about it in this moment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> What's your number two? My number two is your number. What was it? Six. Uh, Thor Ragnarok. Oh, good. Which, along with Black Panther, was again another moment in the MCU where it was became very clear that we were going to start looking at things through slightly different lenses, different cultural lenses. It's not just that Taika Waititi is, uh, you know, of Maori and Jewish descent, but also like there's tons of uh, Southeast Asian and South Asian influences on Sakaar. Um, it's also the one of the first ones that really dives super deep into very, very Jack Kirby designs for aliens and suits and colors and costumes. And I, I love the movie so much. And I love that it's a soft reboot of the character. It really takes that. There's one moment in the first Avengers where Chris Hemsworth has a legitimately funny line that's delivered perfectly. And I feel like they must've seen like that one line exchange and been like, let's make a movie like that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And uh, I'm so glad they did because it is, uh, it's my number two. Uh, I don't think I need to say too much more about it. No. Well, then we get to my number one, drum roll, and it's a film you've already talked about, my favorite MCU movie, and I want to make that crystal clear because we're going to be talking about non-MCU. My favorite MCU movie is Captain America, The First Avenger, because 
it's a it's pretty much perfect movie i i i love period movies anyway like that um joe johnson sorry joe johnston i should say um i've kind of realized as i've got older is one of the most influential directors on the th- what i love about movies mm-hmm. um oh, and production rock- design too like he was you know yeah he cut his teeth working wars, for ilm right yeah yeah absolutely big big part of visual effects of star wars and empire and um the rocketeer is one of these movies that uh, really got me interested in movies as the the art of movie making and um then you've got jumanji and i, I really love Jurassic park three as well mm-hmm. um um recently in 2018 he made a he came in a reshot of a movie called nutcracker and four rounds which got absolutely destroyed everywhere i love that movie i think uh for for the reason George Lucas made movies was to try and capture that Saturday matinee hero being cool, and I don't think there's a better director for making Saturday matinees than Joe Johnston. Like I think he's just brilliant at finding emotional beats, action beats, pacing of the whole thing, little humorous moments. Um, the the chase scene when Steve Rogers becomes Captain America for the very, very first time and he chases the Nazi, oh, sorry, the Hydra agent out and they have that long chase that ends with him um, by the water, mm-hmm. you know, the car chase. And, he, and he's, he tears the car door off. And like, that is one of the most perfect scenes that isn't just great for action, but also gives the audience all this context about what he is now able to do. It is just amazing breathtaking and um it's a it's a brilliantly balanced movie from beginning to end absolutely like 10 out of 10 no notes yep that's fair that's the reason it's in my top 10 as well it's uh mm-hmm. and like joe it's, there's no underestimating joe johnston's influence mm-hmm. like not only did he direct this and the rocketeer but also jumanji and october sky and mm-hmm. jurassic park 3 um and you know, v- very heavily involved in Star Wars uh, and and Indiana Jones, uh, batteries not included. Like he is, mm-hmm. he designed the Iron Giant for Brad Bird. Like he's mm-hmm. he's one of the people who is responsible for the way that we understand film design today, and he's amazing. Yeah, yeah, he sure is. Well, that means we're down to my number one film, which okay. I'm pretty okay. sure you can guess what it is. It's <laughs> 2012's The Avengers, which, mm-hmm. uh, similar to what I said to Endgame, uh, The Avengers is a turning point. It was, you know, at, we had not had, we, did, we had had comic book movies before this. We had not had comic book continuity before this. And it was the first time they did it, and it was the first time, and it, it worked like it worked and i don't want to talk about joss whedon either he's a garbage human being we don't need to really address that but in terms of his ability to handle an ensemble he's pretty perfect he's a pretty perfect writer for an actor like robert downey jr Mm -hmm. and it was just wonderful to see the characters interacting in the way they did in the comic books you know and it's not, you know, when that movie came out, if you want, you know, now if movies come out the day before they come out, right? If it comes out on a Friday, there's always a showing at like 7 p.m. on Thursday. But when that movie came out, if you wanted to see it first, you had to go at midnight on Thursday night. Like they started it at midnight. So it was technically mm-hmm. Friday. And that's what I did. Me and a bunch of friends, we went and watched that movie at midnight uh, at a 
not quite IMAX theater out in Langley, I think it was. It was Langley or Surrey, mm-hmm. um, which for those of you not from here is another city nearby Vancouver. Um, and the the rea- that reaction video you were talking about of people going absolutely apeshit when the Avengers first assemble in New York and there's that tracking shot around the team as they circle up. That I, I don't know if your video was from my showing, but that's what happened at my showing. There was literally mm-hmm. a standing ovation in that moment of, you know, mm-hmm. super tired nerds just going absolutely nuts for this particular moment. Um, mm-hmm. It also has one of my favorite mo- moments in the entire MCU, character moments in the M- MCU, which is uh, early in the film. I can't remember exactly how he phrases it, but um, Steve Rogers says something about how he's not sure anything could surprise him anymore. And Nick Fury says, I'll bet you 10 bucks that there is. And then later in the film, when the helicarrier takes off, without any dialogue, Steve Rogers just hands Nick Fury 10 bucks, and it's perfect. Yeah, and it's, and yeah. it's, it was also that, so that. that level of, of sort of character detail is what really works about the MCU, right? It's not necessarily about the big CGI battles at the end. It's that we love the characters in those CGI battles. Mm-hmm. And this was the movie that really solidified that it could work if they all worked together, if they all appeared together, that they didn't have to be, you know, one hero, it could be an ensemble. And I, I, I don't ever actually see a movie surpassing it in terms of my estimation of the MCU. Absolutely. And a good example of that is one of my favorite movies. uh, Sorry. My favorite moments from the Avengers is it was where the same line is said twice and it's used first as enemies and then as com- as like comrades. And it's when um, Steve and Tony are going face to face about who's got the bigger dick on the helicarrier. Oh, yeah. It's like, yeah, <laughs> what are you with us? Yeah, put on the suit. It's like, yeah, well, you're nothing. Go put on the suit. And then they get attacked. And he's like, put on the suit. It's like, yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I love that moment. And there's so many great moments in that movie, but it's just that instant where you go from bickering brothers to like, I've got your back. Like that's incredibly evocative. And I, I think it just captures it perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. It's perfect. It's a, it's a near perfect film. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, okay. that's, that's our top Ooh. 10. So do you want to move on to the consensus yes. top 10? Do you want me to, <laughs> yes. do you want me to when read we, out? Look, when do we talk about non MCU movies? Are we going to talk about that? Because well, I mean, it's because easy. Your, your best Marvel film is Ghost just, Rider, Spirit of Vengeance, and my best no, I, Marvel film is actually Spider-Man <laughs> Into the Spider-Verse, which are objectively two of the best films ever made. So I, just, I don't think just, we need to talk about it. When I when I tell people my favorite Marvel movie is Ghost Rider 2, Spirits of Vengeance, the reaction is always, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, very good. And mine's like this other terrible movie. I'm like, no, no, I am 100% serious. It's the best comic book movie. Um, the crack directors made a crazy movie with a crazy guy mocapping his own crazy demon who pisses fire and then stops the devil. Like that's what I want from my comic book movies. I want him to, to get into a big digger and it turns into a big hellfire like animal. Uh, it's the perfect comic book movie. No notes. I will not be taking comments at this time. So let's move on to the consensus. I, I mean, in the same vein, the actual best superhero movie ever made, ever made is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. It's a perfect distillation <laughs> of of not only comic books on screen, but also of 
uh, Spider-Man as a character or characters, as the case may be, because there's several Spider-Man in it. And again, 10 out of 10, no notes. Anyway, uh, let's move on to the consensus. Now, are you curious? Do you want to just do the top 10 or do you want to hear what numbers say 20 to 11 are first? Uh, let's just do the countdown. Let's do 20 to 1. Uh, okay, it's going to take a few minutes. So uh, just a bit of context okay. for those of you who are listening. So the way this worked is I reached out to a number of people that I know in a number of uh, film bloggers and film blogging groups and critics and so on. And I asked them to submit their top 10. And the way I came to score them was I basically copied the model from actually from F1 racing. So I treat if you treat every top 10 as a race, then the first place finisher gets 25 points. And the second place gets 18 and third 15 and fourth 12 and fifth 10 and sixth 8 and seventh 6th and fourth 8th uh, 4 and ninth 2 and 10th 1. I know that was a lot. Um, there's also some modifiers. Um, if people hadn't seen all of the films, like there's one person who had only seen uh, 25% of the films, and so that person, their scores were reduced. Um, I will publish all this if anyone's actually. You should post. It. You should post. Like, like, for the people at home, Matt made an Excel spreadsheet that's like heat mapping. You should definitely see this at some point because yeah. it's a truly a thing of beauty. Yeah. The other thing I did was so for every time a film actually appears in a top 10, it also gets 0.1 of a point. Um, and then every time it's first, it gets 0.1. And every time it's second, it gets point, uh, not 0 0.09 and third gets 0 0.08 and so on. And that was entirely just to break ties, to insubstantially change the score enough that ties wouldn't be the result, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? I think it makes mm -hmm. sense. Yes. Um, so the result is that we have, there's only one film in the entire MCU that was on nobody's list. And I would like to stress that that doesn't mean it's bad. It just means it wasn't in anyone's top 10. Um, but that film is the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> um, well, but yeah. he, Ed Norton says the line, you wouldn't like me when I'm hungry. Wait, that's not right. Yeah. Like, and he, that says should it, be in the top 10. he says it in, in Portuguese too. Oh, yeah. Anyway, um, so so we're gonna do. I'll just count down the top twenty, and I'll tell you what their what the score was as well. Um, and if you and I'll anything significant about it, I will tell uh, as well. So starting with the and and just to be clear, the we had fifty three people weigh in with their top tens. So okay. fifty three people. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. So number twenty uh, with forty eight point two five points. And seven, uh, no, sorry, uh, nine appearances. Uh, Spider-Man: Far From Home. Uh, number nineteen with forty-nine point eight nine points and six appearances. Uh, Captain Marvel. Oh. <laughs> yeah, uh, number eighteen with fifty point four points and ten total appearances. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Mm -hmm. And 17th place with 64.52 points and 11 appearances is Ant-Man. You're not really reacting to any of this, which is interesting to me. Oh, I, I, I think we've reacted enough. Like, <laughs> like, I feel like people know our takes now. Silence is golden as well. I, I would not have put, for example, Captain Marvel... Anywhere near or top anything. 
But that's just my opinion. Okay, next yeah. one. Number 16 with a total of nine appearances and 75.35 points is Iron Man 3, which I think is far too low. Um, number 15 with 86.72 points and 12 appearances is 2016's Doctor Strange. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, at 14 with 15 appearances and 94.1 points is Spider-Man Homecoming Mm -hmm. Uh, at 13 with 11 appearances and 113.69 points is WandaVision I can just hear you I can hear the gears in your brain just like grinding to a halt because your your takes and tastes are so different than all of us they really are yeah, uh, number 12 uh, with 18 appearances and 168.75 points. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, and number 11 with 224 points, 224.85 points and 17 total appearances uh, is Captain America, the first Avenger. Not even in the top 10. Nope, number 11. Wow. Uh, and at 50, okay. that's a 56-point jump from number 12 to 11, which is one of the bigger jumps in this whole list, mm-hmm. too, actually. I think it's actually the second largest like point difference between two places. Okay, what's, what's the top 10, then? All right, so number 10 uh, appeared in 27 people's top 10 lists. Uh, it has 265.22 points. It appeared most in people's third third place bracket. It appeared in six third places uh, and four fourths and four sixth places uh, is Captain America Civil War. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. I'm hoping cool. for more of a reaction to this, but I'm not getting Oh, you it. want more reaction? Um um I yeah. I dis- I disagree with that. Uh, <laughs> like, I, like it's fine, Civil War's fine, but it's like I don't like we could talk about the Russos and their relative skills as directors or uh, um uh I'm Civil War did nothing for me. It's just you know that airport dig- the airport airport fight for a lot of people, I think, is what turns that one yeah. like it's uh yeah, yeah. it's a big deal okay what's number nine number nine with 300.65 points and 29 total appearances in people's top tens uh the place it appears the most is in fifth place it appeared in fifth place on nine of those 29 uh, lists and it appeared in first place uh three times and third place five times is spider-man no way home that's year. not a good movie. I respectfully disagree with it. Oh, really? You don't like it at all? I, I Spider-Man uh, No Way Home is not a bad movie. Like, it is a fun I, movie. No. No. No? I didn't. No. No. It's, um, I I love uh, Andrew Garfield. And um, when the three of them get together and start working out, like, what they should call each other, I just want to watch a whole movie with those three just working out logistics <laughs> you know of of what to call and like i'm i'm peter three like mm-hmm. just all of that but no 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 no. okay next one uh so number eight with a total of 33 appearances 
337.12 points and a pretty even distribution of where it landed in people's lists, except no appearances at number five, which I found weirdly interesting, uh, is 2012's The Avengers. Hmm. I thought that would be higher. Yeah, I actually did too. Um, You'll be happy, maybe not happy, but happy with this one, uh, with 354 points at number seven. 35 mm-hmm. total appearances in people's lists again out of 53 lists that i received um appeared the most times in eighth place eight of those 35 mm-hmm. put it in eighth place and five people put it at number one is 2014's guardians of the galaxy oh good yeah, yeah. solid film next yeah. one uh, number six, uh, 364.85 points, uh, 37 total appearances on the lists and appears in third place nine times and in sixth place eight times is 2017's Thor Ragnarok. Yep. Yep. Good, good film. We've already talked about it. Absolutely. I'm glad more people agree because yep. many of my other films are not appearing even in the top 20. So. No, I don't. Honestly, you're not going to be, you specifically are not going to be super happy um, with the rest of this list. Okay. Uh, so number five with a 40 point jump from this point from number six to number five, 405.32 points, 32 total appearances in people's lists. Uh, seven number ones, seven number twos is 2018's Black Panther. Okay. Well, we've already talked about Black Panther. It's great, but... Yeah, you know, it's a movie that for the people who it hits for, it hits really hard, so that makes sense. Sure, sure, yeah. Uh, Number four has 413.23 points with 39 appearances. That is the most uh, appearances of any film on this list, and a pretty wide distribution... Uh, pretty equal distribution of where it lands, but uh, landed at sixth place in seven of those 39 lists oh. and first place twice, second place oh, five oh. times and third place six oh, times. This, is, it's going to be Infinity War, isn't it? Nope. It's going to be 2008's Iron Man. Oh, I mean, it's in, a solid move. I'm, I'm really worried you haven't mentioned Infinity War yet. Oh, you're yeah. You should stay worried. Uh, moving on <laughs> to number three. So number three represents uh, the biggest jump in the whole list. So the difference in points between number four and number three is 76 points. This film has appeared has a total of 489.23 points. It appeared in 37 lists. It was eight people's number one. It was 10 people's number four. Um, and in second and third place rankings, it appeared three times each and three times at fifth is 2019's Avengers oh, Endgame. Okay, is it? So, how? What number is that? Three. Number three. Yeah. So. What? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well, you know the people like you who are mad into this stuff. Endgame's like the the it's just superhero bukaki, right? So <laughs> I can see I can see why it would hit. Yep. I mean, I think the next two, I know that, so I know the number two and number one picks are both very popular. One of them I actually expected to win, and the one that did win, I didn't. But moving up to number two, there's actually only an eight-point difference for number three to number two. So with 497.37 points, 
uh, and 38 total appearances. The second, <laughs> the second most appearing film in the entire list, in the entire thing, was was six people's number one, eight people's number two, and four people's number three. Come is on. 2014's Captain America the Winter Soldier. What? Come on! Oh, really? Is it because Robert Redford? Is that is that why like oh it's no, Robert honestly, Redford? Is... People people just love that movie. People love oh, that movie. Oh my god. And it's interesting because I, mean, I, I, I used to be one of them and it's just the more I've seen it, the the oh, more my man. opinion is lessened. Because I you know, that's I think, really interesting. Yeah. I absolutely. think that lots of the I think that lots of the action scenes in particular are not very well shot. I think they spend a lot of time making some really great action choreography and then don't shoot it very well. But I, you know, I do think there's some great performances and I do love that it references, you know, it's taking um, cues from seventies spy thriller movies, even though it's not really one of those, but anyway. Yeah. The the lift is good. There you go. Yeah, no, the, the, that fight is great. The first fight between Steve Rogers and the Winter Soldier is an amazing film. It's an amazing fight if you can see it. Like, if you watch the special features, it's amazing to watch them practice it. I wonder if the writer's room put their heads together if it's actually possible to create a more boring character than the Winter Soldier. Do you think it's actually possible on a, on a, like a literal level to make someone more boring? That's my take on that. <laughs> okay, what's number one? Let's do it. All right, you ready for this? If it's Infinity War, I'm gonna, I'm gone. I'm gonna <laughs> hang up. I swear to God, I'm All really right. worried. It's well, with only five point nine one points more, uh, five hundred and three point two eight points total, thirty seven appearances in people's top ten lists, six people's number one, eleven people's number two, and then a fairly even distribution of like two, three, and it's actually. Like, it appeared in third place two times, fourth place two times, fifth place five times, sixth, seventh, and eighth three times, and ninth and tenth one time each. Is 2018's oh, Avengers Infinity on. War oh, number, number one. one the <laughs> best MCU movie by consensus yep. is Infinity War. This yep. is the problem with democracy. <laughs> <laughs> Right? This is the problem. I mean, I don't know. People love that movie. Why? I I Why? Oh. I like Infinity War. I don't think it's not in my I top mean, ten. Like, but... Sure. No, it's like it's fine. I came out of that movie thinking, well, that was a mess, but it was okay. Jesus. I mean, in a lot of ways, oh I think it's I think it's a really good I think it's a really good movie. Like I really like that the bad guy's the protagonist. I really like that it ends on a major down. I mean, you know they were going to undo the major downer, but I still think it's a pretty ballsy move to end on a major downer and to end on the good guys losing. Uh, um, but it didn't it didn't end on that because it has no stakes at all because you know exactly there's no way it's going to end like that. Well, that, no, but it, you do has, because the thing oh. I think just Joss Whedon, as much as I hate to invoke him, put this best when he was talking about making Avengers Age of Ultron, where he says, um, you know the good guys are going to win, so you have to create stakes different ways. So Infinity War definitely has stakes in that you know they're going to win in the next movie, but you don't know who's going to win. And I think at the time, that's sort of where I took it. And like, Infinity War very nearly made my top 10 as well. Nowhere near the, the top of it, just to be clear. But um, it very nearly made my top 10 as well. And I I think it's actually a well-made movie. And it's one of the MCU movies that I've actually watched the most times. And I think, I think 
it might actually be the movie directed by the Russo brothers in the MCU that I like best. Maybe. I think it's probably the most competent of them. You've really just pieced out of this at this point. Oh, you? dude. Just like... Like, I, am, I, I couldn't tell you a single thing that happens in that movie based on memory of... I remember watching that movie and thinking, this is just piecemeal together. It, it, this, this movie exists to make the next movie exist. Like, its only job is to provide context for another movie. Well, I mean, we knew we knew from the start that it was part uh, one. Like the, origi- the original the original title of of Infinity War and Endgame were Infinity Wars parts one and two. Like we knew that stand, it doesn't for me. It doesn't stand by itself. It doesn't feel like it stands by itself. It's just like I'm so. Oh no, it totally I, does for out, me. Out of out of all the MCU movies, that's the one I've come out of thinking, ah, oh, it's just nothing. Like there was nothing there at all. I mean, what I find <laughs> what I find really interesting about this sort of thing is, I mean. It didn't win because so many people thought it was the best. It won because so many people thought it was second best, right? Like we're talking like of all the people who responded, a third of them put it at number two, and that's that's why it wins, right? the The movie with the highest number of number one entries is Endgame with eight, Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. and it only got as high as it did because it also has ten fourth place appearances. Yeah, Yeah, right. So it's it's. There's no perfect way to do this. I don't want to just besmirch anybody's taste, but like, yeah, it's super weird. And I can't tell. I mean, I, I thought that Avengers, the first Avengers would be higher. I thought the Guardians would be higher. I personally kind of expected Winter Soldier to win because to be number one, because people love that movie. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, Infinity War is the one that by by almost by just shy of six points. Infinity War is the consensus number one Marvel movie. Well, good job, everyone. And just to make it clear, just because I don't like that movie doesn't mean you loving that movie is wrong. Like, um, so I I really love how these movies hit different people in different ways, and I, it's really fascinating to me as a, a English and drama major who doesn't really understand numbers uh, on this level how the stats kind of even out like uh the the playing field when it comes to putting it all together as a ranking it's very interesting to me well i mean statistics eventually stuff like this will flatten out any curve right so. yeah 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 yeah. well but, um, so that's yes. that's where we're at um, wow this was wow. our our longest episode since the relaunch i hope you you stuck with us thank you so much <laughs> uh it's a lot of talking um we'd like to take this opportunity to thank you the listeners um but also and i'm gonna run through this as quickly as i can but aaron newworth alejandro alexander anna austin ben benjamin bernard uh brendan brian brian cam chris craig dakota darren dave dj don ethan gill james j jeff jeffrey joe justin latoya leanne lisa mark matthew melissa michael rob niall nicholas um uh I'm going to mispronounce this one, but Pascalis, Patrick, Rachel, Richard, Scott, Shora, Simon, Taylor, Thomas, Tim, Todd, Tyler, and YL. Thank you all for your contributions to the list. I really enjoyed how you read that list exactly like Mark Wahlberg trying to guess the name in Ted. So thank you for that. I mean, that's where I take all my cues from. (laughs) Uh, uh, Thank you all for your contributions to the list. uh, we're gonna. I'm gonna record the sign off right now, just in case we don't get to it. But uh, we did also ask 
Um, anyone who submitted uh, their top 10 list to uh, also, if they would be willing to com- to contribute a short audio clip just based on either their favorite Marvel film or a Marvel film that's meaningful to them or their f- whatever they wanted to record, basically, a one or two minute clip. And those are still coming in. Thank you so much for sticking with us through this year. Simon, do you have anything to say to the listeners? Nothing you haven't said already. Please go and watch Ghost Rider 2 Spirits of Vengeance, but <laughs> but not the first Ghost Rider because it's terrible. And uh, thank you to everyone who um, gave us your opinion. It's really, really lovely to see um, how our, how big our community is getting now. Yeah, right. local people. It's been really, really nice to start um, meeting more people and even appearing on different podcasts. It's been lovely. So thank you so much. 100%. That's our show for this week, friends. Uh, the original plan was to punctuate this episode with clips from our friends about their favorite Marvel movies, uh, as previously mentioned. Uh, that's turned into a much bigger project, so look for a bonus episode soon. If you've liked what you've heard so far, please feel free to reach out and tell us. We're on all the socials. You can find those in the show notes. If you'd like to support us uh, a little more directly, uh, please like, subscribe, give us a five-star review on your podcasting platform of choice, or we have a Patreon and a Ko-fi also linked in the show notes. Uh, we produce this here in Vancouver on the unceded lands of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish nations. And as always, thank you for joining us on this awesome Friday. Bye!